Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. The midterm elections are quickly approaching and the stakes are so, so high. My guest this week is Charles Booker, candidate for the United States Senate in Kentucky. His new book, From the Hood to the Holler, a story of separate worlds, shared dreams, and the fight for America's future, is now available. Many who felt powerless are finding their voices in the crowds taking to Louisville streets. A West Louisville resident already in a position of power in our state is stepping in at some very tense moments. While the House has already passed an anti-lynching legislation, which is awaiting approval in the Senate, on Wednesday, Senator Rand Paul told reporters he has concerns about the bill, which he said might allow some minor altercations to be punishable as lynching. I've stood beside the people that are crying out demanding change. And, you know, what we're seeing now is a moment uh, where history, her story, their story, our story is being made. Charles Booker, it is official. You are running for U.S. Senate trying to get rid of Rand Paul. Thank you for that, by the way. U.S. Senate 2022. Hey, my name is Charles Booker. I am running for the United States Senate. I am fighting to end poverty and pull up the roots of racism. Sorry, not sorry. So, Charles, thank you so much for doing the podcast. And I just want to jump right in it because I know that your time is so precious. And my first question is, I'm curious to know, this is the second time you've run for Senate in Kentucky. So what lessons did you take out of your first campaign and running against Mitch McConnell that may have changed what you're doing in 2022? First of all, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. Thank you for your voice. And I'm honored to connect with you today. And Thank you for asking that question, because, you know, it takes a certain type of crazy to run for office, to run for U.S. Senate and then run for it again. Um, I've definitely earned that title, but it's a good type of crazy. I have the audacity to believe things can be different. And I know the movement that is around us in Kentucky. And I'm not going to ignore it. You know, the thing that I learned in that first run for Senate was that the people of Kentucky are ready. I knew it. I believed it. I felt it. But I saw it when I was running that race. And then the whole country got to see it when people all over the Commonwealth were marching in the streets, folks who had never voted, people that were longtime Republicans, Democrats, independents were organizing with me saying, we need to come together from the hood to the holler. And it's bigger than partisan divides. And the desperation is so great. And you know what? We're seeing even more of that now. So what we're doing in this race, that is really a big lesson from the last cycle and what I hope the whole country will take in is we can't wait 
to do this work. I got in the race in the fall and I didn't have a lot of support and I was organizing on the ground without a lot of awareness. But now I'm the front runner in this race, the presumptive nominee. And I'm saying, look, let's do the deep organizing, relational organizing, build infrastructure right now. GOTV is right now. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I don't think GOTV, get out the vote, should ever stop. We should always be working towards getting out the vote. And you mentioned not being able to wait. And personally, I think part of the reasons why we can't wait is because of the political landscape in Kentucky. You've got Mitch McConnell. You've got Rand Paul. You've got Thomas Massey, who's probably the very worst member of Congress. And then you also have a Democratic governor in Andy Bashir. So how does that all how does that all happen? Well, you know, one thing that I've helped to explain in the book that I've written for the From the Hood to the Holler, I'm explaining that these issues that we're facing aren't partisan. And so when you see people in Kentucky that voted for Donald Trump and also voted for Bernie Sanders, there's a through line. I don't think, unfortunately, Mitch McConnell's not going to lose, but we would have had a much better, we would have had a hell of a race if Booker was nominated. Much better shot. Oh, my. I mean, I I think there's... I mean, a much better shot and also just just an intrinsically valuable race. I mean, a much better shot and something that would have clarified the stakes on any number of levels. You would have had a better shot. I don't know that he could win, but you would also build a uh, an infrastructure in Kentucky around right. a guy who is much more dynamic and he's going to bring in much more uh, excitement and much more voters that are going to be lasting in an era when maybe people aren't voting against Donald Trump, but they're actually voting for something affirmative. And what we are dealing with in Kentucky is a lot of desperation. There's generational poverty. People are suffering. Jobs have left and not come back the neighborhood I've grown up in. And I'm in, from the West in Louisville, the hood. And in Louisville, one of the most segregated cities in the country, unemployment had been around 30% for years before the pandemic. And so people are grasping for anyone that's going to speak to them. And, and if Democrats don't organize, Republicans are weaponizing that. They're stewing hate. They're chasing conspiracies, stirring up racism. They just passed, uh, so Republicans have a supermajority in the legislature just passed a bill that pretty much bans all abortion. It punishes parents who have had miscarriages. It punishes women who are trying to fight for their agency and humanity. And they're only doing it so that they can keep weaponizing hate and robbing us. So we remain one of the poorest states in the country. And we have to stand up right now to change it. and, And that's what I'm doing. It's a lot. And you mentioned the through line, that there is a through line between the people who voted for Trump and the people who voted for Bernie Sanders. Let's talk about that through line, because I think it's something that we don't discuss enough, that these issues are human issues. Absolutely. And one of the privileges of my life, I was the director for the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. And I love telling folks that, yes, some young black man from the hood Yes, Kentucky is like 92% white. Yes, I was a director for the agency that was like 99% white. This was a powerful opportunity because I was able to go all over the Commonwealth and deal with employees who were facing issues at home, harassment, things were blocking them from being able to do their work. And I'm from a marginalized community. And I knew that in order to give them the space to open up and talk to me, I had to open up to them. And when I did that, we found common bonds. And as I've mentioned, listen, you know, I'm a type one diabetic and I've had to ration my insulin. 
That is not a partisan issue. Republicans know what that's about. Independents know what that's about. People get it. And we need leaders that are going to stand in that space and bring people together now so that we can fight for democracy. And my hope is that with the documentary that I'm so grateful for you being a uh, part of uh, From the Hood to the Hollow. I'm in Cleveland now, actually lifting that up at the film festival. And then the book that I've written, From the Hood to the Holler, is really that story of how we do this work. My hope is that we can be a template in Kentucky of how you can transform the future by listening to regular people and pushing through all the division and hate. You mentioned being a diabetic and insulin and how that is a an issue that bridges or should bridge party lines. And yet 193 heartless jerks in the House of Representatives voted against an insulin cap. It's really hard to legislate when so many of our legislators are bought by pharmaceutical companies. I think there's so much at stake in this election, in particular in Kentucky. It does feel like just a microcosm of everything that's going on. So let's just break down what you think is at stake in this election on a state level, but also nationally. And what does Kentucky gain and what does the country gain when they elect you? So one thing I'm saying all across Kentucky and I'm traveling across the country is that our pursuit of democracy, because we're still trying to get it right, our pursuit of democracy is hanging on by a thread. And people like Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul are doing everything to snap that thread. And the work that we're doing right now to raise the standard, to redefine our politics, to get more people involved in the democratic process, to make democracy real, is going to protect our future. And Kentucky has been one of the most disenfranchised states in the country. So if anyone needs this type of leadership, we do. And by helping to tell the story of what it means to be heard and accounted for. And so we're using art, creativity. We're using different mediums to reach people where they are and inspire them to know that their voices matter. And it gives us the chance to take advantage of this moment. So we just witnessed history, her story, our story with Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson being appointed, confirmed to the Supreme Court. That wouldn't have happened if Addison Mitchell McConnell was in the majority seat. If Georgia hadn't shown the audacity to prove the doubters wrong, we wouldn't have the chance to break this ceiling. That historic vote in the Senate playing out this afternoon, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson confirmed by the Senate, all of the Democrats and three Republicans voting to make history. Judge Jackson will now be the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. And then with the infrastructure bill that's now law, the rescue plan, that put a lot of resources into states like Kentucky that Rand Paul voted against and build back better the idea to really invest in our people and our infrastructure to reach the promise of a new deal. So I have this button of Kentucky New Deal. That's my vision of saying together we can transform our future by investing in people and our infrastructure to realize life, freedom and prosperity for everyone. We cannot miss this moment and we're not going to. We're going to win this race. You know, it's interesting. I just got a sort of a packet of the messaging that's working for Democrats. They like to keep these pretty close to their chest, but it's basically everything that you are saying, that we must deliver a message 
of the fact that we want to deliver for the people to build a stronger America. It actually says Democrats must shout from the mountaintop every day and twice on Sunday, big wins like impending now confirmed Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson and passing historic investments in infrastructure. It's like everything that you instinctually are. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like why it seems so difficult to get Democrats to send out the same message. Yeah, you know, I've often said about Democrats that we can be too smart for our own good. It's so important for us to meet people where they are and to do the work of organizing and building community and building relationships. That is not rocket science. It is how you win, but it's how you change things. And in Kentucky, we have not been doing it. I'll say we, I'm a Kentuckian, I'm going to own my place in trying to change this, but they haven't been doing it. You know, one thing that is really important for us now is we have to have a vision that inspires people to believe things can be different. We have to speak to the needs that people are facing and they're not partisan and we're on the right side of the issues. So if we tell our story and I even put out a song. So I'm not a great singer. My mom is. She's here with me too. I sung to Kentuckians, look, we've been robbed for so long. We've been getting screwed. People like Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul want us to stop believing that things can change. And that is the type of message that I believe as Democrats, we need to own and get on the offense. And um, I'm excited that Kentucky can be a template and, and really show that it's possible in the forgotten places. The forgotten places, and there are many. You mentioned uh, community, which I think is so important. And I think we were all reminded of that through the pandemic. It has been more than a year since the 2020 election and the January 6th attacks. Do you think America is ready to come together? I'll answer it two ways. First, I'll say yes. But then I'll also say we don't have a choice. I think when you're facing a crisis and we are dealing with crises, you can either fall apart or you can find the fortitude to come together. And in Kentucky, that's what you saw when Breonna Taylor's door was busted down. When she was killed, everyone felt that. And we could have fallen apart as a commonwealth. But instead, we rallied together. And my hope and my charge is that we seize this moment to come together, to realize our better angels. And that means we can't have people like Rand Paul in office sowing hate and weaponizing fear and exploiting all of our pain. There are consequences to his lunacy. Me running against Rand Paul is so critical. And I know a lot of folks in the country don't look at races like this as you know, priorities, or there's no way you win in a place like Kentucky, although we have a Democratic governor. But I need folks to understand, we are not just running to beat Rand Paul, we are running to beat hate. And the country needs this now. And I'll tell you, I have over 15,000 volunteers, actually, it's close to 20,000 now. People that voted for Donald Trump are organizing on my campaign. People that never voted before are organizing on this campaign. And it's because this movement is about truth and healing and humanity, and it is undeniable. And uh, yes, we can come together.
It's interesting. You mentioned lunacy. And I think often we legitimize the chaos of some of these elected officials by talking about them like it's totally normal to be someone like Rand Paul, who is representing constituents. Like he should not be taking care of an alley cat. And yet we are putting women's rights in his hands, LGBTQ plus rights in his hands. Why does this guy who is I don't throw around mental health words often, but there is clearly something amiss about him. Or maybe it's just pure greed and corruption, which could also, I guess, be a mental health issue. But I feel like every time we talk about these people like they're normal, it basically legitimizes the lunacy. Yeah. And, you know, what I've made clear is Rand Paul's a clown. He's a joke. I need to, I want to name that for folks. We, we're not going to blow by this and act like he's credible, like he's legitimate or that he intends to be legitimate. He is a crisis actor. He's a conspiracy theorist. He is doing this for fun. He is working out of a privilege that has never had to struggle. Tension on how to handle the surge is spreading, too. You are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the attacked only thing your can... colleagues. During a Senate hearing, Dr. Anthony Fauci accused Senator Rand Paul of raising political donations with personal attacks. That kindles the crazies out there. And I have life that threats upon my life harassment of my family and my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. He didn't have to watch his parents go without food so that he could eat like I have. He didn't have to ration insulin. He didn't have to deal with wearing his big cousin's clothes because he was homeless. He didn't have to deal with the struggles that a lot of Kentuckians face. So he doesn't care about us. And one thing that has allowed people like Rand Paul to stay in office is we don't pay them attention. We laugh at them, and then we look away. People fear Mitch McConnell. They respect Mitch McConnell. That's valid, because this guy's diabolical, and he has earned that. But people like Rand Paul are just as gross and just as heinous, although they are silly. And this campaign, to me, is about naming that, but then inspiring that vision that's bigger. Because we do have Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul in Kentucky, and I apologize to everyone that will be hearing this on behalf of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. But so many folks are just used to things being this way, and they've checked out. We have to inspire something different. You mentioned silliness, and we just watched the confirmation hearings of Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court, and we had people who supported her last nomination, implying that she was a supporter of pedophiles. So people who supported her before are, were now saying that she was a supporter of pedophiles, something that so many regular citizens on the right are now spreading all over social media. It just feels like, and I know that it is a smaller group than we think, but with so many people appearing to be of bad faith in office and so many lay people willing to follow their lead, how do we fix that? How do we unite? And what responsibility is it of our elected officials to help unite the country? Let me start there. The responsibility is really paramount for those who are in positions of decision making that understand the system, that realize what's happening. It is incumbent on them to do the work 
of putting the power back into the hands of the people. And that is not happening. They are hoarding the power for themselves. And that's what Mitch McConnell has done. And the thing that we have to do in this moment is really understand that the solution to all of this is making democracy real. Because as you mentioned, a lot of the folks that are in, in this conspiracy land, they are a minority. There are more of us that understand that those types of things are destructive and they are hurting all of us. But most people don't get involved in the democratic process. In Kentucky, turnout is typically low. So how do we address these issues? We make democracy real and get more people involved. And when we do, we are going to win these races. That's why they're trying to suppress the vote. That's why they're gerrymandering. They don't want us to vote because when we do, we will change things. And that was going to be my next question, is that across the nation, lawmakers are enacting laws that make it harder for people to vote and especially people of color. How are we going to overcome that in 2022? I think one of the most powerful scenes in our documentary about you from the hood to the holler is that scene when voters are banging on the door because they locked the door. And then also that one little sentence that there was, how many voting places were closed from 2016 to 2018? It was something like it went from like over a thousand to like 240 or something like that. It was that extreme. And in Jefferson County, there was one polling location. This is a metropolitan area of close to a million people. And you're right. Seeing Kentuckians bang on the door, on the glass, saying our voices matter so much that we're going to bang on this door and demand that you let us in just to be heard, just so that we can make things better. Not so that we can tear down or destroy like what happened on January 6th, but so that we can build up and that we can heal. We're going to have to win races like this. We need to invest in organizing like Georgia did and how Stacey, in many ways, Stacey Abrams helped to write a playbook. We'll add chapters to a playbook because this isn't new. I grew up in a family that believed in voting rights. My dad was arrested at the age of 14 for registering black people to vote during Jim Crow. You know, fighting for the right to vote is in my bones. But what is different for me is that instead of fighting to expand the right as I did as a college student, as a young person, I'm fighting to defend that right. And my hope is that in the next few iterations of Congress, we can finally actually stop the fight to protect the right to vote and return to the goal of just expanding those who believe their access is real. We need to do that type of investment. We're building capacity in Kentucky. So I'm not just running to win run one race. I'm training people to run for office. So I, I launched an organization called Hood to the Holland. It's still doing that. But even in this campaign, we're training people to be citizen lobbyists, training them to run for office. I'm rolling out a new platform called Kentucky New Deal Action Candidates, where I'm supporting races across the state Mm. that are fighting for change, we have to build a movement and we have to inspire more people to get involved. We have to overwhelm the suppression. And then when we do, we got to change the laws to make sure it doesn't continue. I think representation is so important and to be able to see the voters so that they can be able to see themselves in you. And I think that that is what is lacking so much in our elected officials is someone that has the experience of the people who are voting for that person. I can't say that Mitch McConnell or Rand Paul have any experience in struggle at all, ever. And then there's you who overcame so much to be who you are. 
You grew up in some real poverty, and most members of Congress, they're wealthy. They come from wealth. What will your unique experience bring to the Senate? I think having a lens of, and still dealing with, a lot of the things that I'm fighting to address. So I still have student loans. My wife and I do that. We've just concluded we're never going to pay them off. Every payment we make, the balance gets bigger. And being in a position of decision-making and still understanding acutely what it feels like to lose loved ones to gun violence year after year like I have, it will allow me to be a better advocate. And it will also help me be a better listener to people who don't get hurt. And one of the things that I'm doing with this campaign, we're not taking the corporate uh, PAC money. We are focused on small grassroots, small dollar organizing, relationship building, because I want to help break the barriers down that make it hard for people like me to run for office. You don't see a lot of folks like me do this because I got three girls. I'm trying to take care of the bills and help my mom. And for a lot of folks, they're like, I don't even have time to deal with that. And we have to get big money out of politics. But we have to make it easier and more accessible for people to step into positions of power. And um, campaigns like this are going to help tell that story and light that spark. And, and I'm proud to do it. You know, people ask when I'm going to run all the time, and I'm not at that point where I'm not irate. I am so angry that we are one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world, and people still can't afford essential medications. The fact that you had to ration your insulin, something that you needed to survive even after you graduated from law school, how does this happen? Is it hope? Is that what keeps you going? Teach me your ways. I've learned a lot just from seeing you use your platform. You're already running. And, you know, what mm. I tell folks is find that thing that makes you get up and go, your why, and commit to that. Do your part in that. Everyone's not going to be in elected office, although we all should deeply consider it. And I want more people, more regular folks to do it. But we all have to do our part. And elected office is not the most important part of society. It's just the biggest part that's clogging up all the all of our avenues for progress. The Supreme Court seat opens up next year, 2023, not an election year. You will at least hold hearings on President Biden's nominee. Most hypotheticals I don't answer, and I think that whole question puts the card before the horse. You won't confirm a justice or put a justice up. Uh, if you have the majority next year, should it be a seat become available? Is that accurate? Yeah, I'm not going to announce what our agenda might be um, on appointments uh, before we even become the majority. Blocking us from doing the things that we need to do. So we need people there that are going to fight for us. But the folks that are cleaning up, the folks that are teaching, folks that are mentoring, people that are building, people that are farming, people that are organizing, we all have a part to play and we're all running our race in that vein. I don't do this for a title. I've served in elected office. It is the twilight zone. 
And when people tell me they appreciate me, I just tell them, look, I appreciate you. I'm just here to do my part. I want to switch gears for just a second, because this is an issue that's really important to you. We have more guns than people in this country. And somehow the NRA still wields far too much power in politics. How do we get past that? And like so many Americans, gun violence has been a tragic feature of your life. Can you tell us why this issue is personal and what we can do about it? I keep a dog tag. It's so it's on the other side of the screen. But I've, I've shown it, shown it to you. I'll show you in person um, soon. But I, I keep a dog tag with me everywhere I go with my cousin TJ. And he was murdered on Easter Sunday in 2016. And every year since then, I've had a younger cousin murdered. And every single time I get a call and there's a pause, I'm expecting some terrible news. And every time I've gotten that news, a part of me died too. And I stood on the floor of the House of Representatives here in Kentucky and acted out, did a monologue, if you will, what it means as a Black man to encounter law enforcement and to know that you're seen as a deadly weapon before being seen as a human being. And then I talked about the public health crisis of gun violence. The issue in places like Kentucky is there's an echo chamber where only one side is talking, only one side is organizing, and all the money is flooding behind that interest in the NRA. It's been really dominant in that space. But when you look at the issues, there is overwhelming bipartisan support on many issues that address common sense gun safety. So what we need to do ultimately is make democracy real. We need more people running for office that are going to be accountable to the majority of folks who know that having a violence history background check is common sense, that gun safety and, and locking and storage is common sense, that um that firearms that are used in, in battlefields should not be in the streets of our communities and that we should be ending war as well. Like we, we need people that are accountable to, to the truth and aren't for sale. And it's only going to happen when more regular people step up that aren't bought and, and sold. And I'm telling you to see people that are organizing here and the way we're doing it on issues that are weaponized like guns, because that's a, Guns, abortion, gay marriage, and you know, and now trans youth, they're weaponizing all everything to just tear us down. We're breaking through that by telling stories. We're humanizing these issues. So when I talk about my cousin being murdered, people can't refuse my story because they mm -hmm. don't want to hear about regulating firearms. They gotta see my humanity because I'm not letting them get away from it. Mm. And when we empower and encourage more people to do that. Those, the silos come falling down. And, and now they're organizing in Frankfurt and they're going to committee meetings that they've never done before. We're making democracy real. And that really is what we have to do. There's a lot of talk about the midterms being a tough election for Democrats in the fall. What is your message to voters that will get them to turn out and vote for Democratic candidates? My message is, We've been screwed for so long, been kicked off the cliff. We have been robbed, exploited, mocked, demeaned. Stand with someone who's going to stand for you. Take the chance to change things. Don't give in to the cynicism. Show the, the, the courage to push through it. And we have the chance to break generational cycles of poverty and, and struggle and inequity in a real way right now. And I'm not running for U.S. Senate 
because I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm running for U.S. Senate because I'm a human being. I am a Kentuckian and I love this place. Mm-hmm. I love my home and the people of Kentucky are my family. This is a moment when we need to fight for family and come together. And I know we will. What are some of the ways that our listeners can help support your campaign? So I would encourage everyone that wants to join us and get rid of Rand Paul. And I know there's a whole lot of people that want to do that to go to charlesbooker.org. You can, of course, make a contribution. We are funding relational organizing. We are seeding and investing in people across Kentucky to do their own organizing and, and lifting them up. And that takes a lot of resources to do. That's what Georgia did in the runoffs. They were really investing in the ground. Uh, but also because of technology, we are doing a lot of organizing with folks across the country. And there's ways that you can volunteer uh, from wherever you are. So connect with us that way. And also, I really am encouraging folks to just hear our story. The documentary, From the Hood to the Holler, we need to help people see this and know that it's real and help amplify this book that I've written that I'm so proud to pour my soul into. From the Hood to the Holler, we need people to hear this story. I'm not doing this in an endeavor to make money. This is survival. I'm trying to make it. And I want my girls to be able to realize their dreams like Justice Jackson was able to do. And so join us in that and follow me on social media. Help me amplify my message. It's Booker, the number four, KY. And finally, what gives you hope? The thing that I get hope from most my girls, when I look at them, I remember why I'm here. And my mom and my wife, two incredible women that have sacrificed so much in their own journeys. And I'm surrounded by a lot of strong women and and a lot of strong Kentuckians. And the people give me hope. I don't take hope out of government. I don't find hope in politicians, but in regular people that do great work every day. It just lets me know we can do this if we come together. Well, Charles Booker, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. My honor. Kentucky, we've been robbed for so long, but that is now. Kentucky, we've been robbed for so long. That is now Don't give up on change Because of Mitch and Rambo Cause if we stand together Their hate is gonna fall Kentucky We've been robbed for so long But that is now Democrats, I know you're tired. I know that we haven't achieved everything we hoped for since the 2020 election, but we can't let that keep us from turning out and voting in giant numbers this fall. Part of the reason we haven't been able to get things done that we want to and need to is that we didn't finish the job in 2020. We elected a Senate that allows 50 Republicans and just one or two Democratic defectors to obstruct the American agenda. 
The answer to that is not to throw up our hands and give up. The answer is to dig in and work even harder this time. We've just heard from Charles Booker. What's at stake if we don't? The ramifications are huge. If we lose the Senate, President Biden will be entirely hamstrung. Mitch McConnell's even said that he won't commit to holding hearings for the president's nominees to the Supreme Court should a vacancy arise. It's anti-American, and it is so damaging to our country. So please, please, I beg of you, find some motivation. Make sure other people find it, too. We have to do the work for the sake of our nation. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.